0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news
1: from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello,
0: everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. At midweek already, thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Big news today. It looks like the administration is going to deny those small refinery exemptions for those gap years, and we'll talk about that. We're also going to get the latest. Meat export numbers from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman. And weather is a big story. Not only rain, but some cold weather in parts of the country. We'll be talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, later in the program. So lots going on here at Midweek, but we're going to start it off with Todd Neely from DTN. And Todd, uh, finally some news that the biofuels industry has been waiting for and needing to hear it's not official, I guess, yet or final, but it looks like all reports indicate that uh, the administration will deny those gap year waiver requests.
2: Yeah, Mike, you know it's uh, it's a big deal if this is true. Uh, you know, a couple of sources that I've talked to seem to indicate that this is indeed what the president is is doing. He's leaning toward doing this, and he's already ordered the EPA uh, to not allow those waiver requests to be to be granted. Uh, the one thing that we need to think about here, though, is that this would this would include 67 waiver requests that are retroactive. That means we still have another 31 or more uh, that are pending for 2019 and then into 2020. Uh, so this would take care of uh, the requests that were made, you know, in relation to the 10th Circuit Court ruling uh, that essentially told EPA that it had it had messed up on uh, on granting some waivers. Um you know, i I think this is obviously encouraging. Uh, I guess we wait until the official word so far, EPA is not confirming with us either way, of course, but uh, if this does happen, it certainly comes at a time when the president is uh, obviously shoring up his base when it comes to the to the upcoming election.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any other way to look at it that the the election uh, and the the potential impact of this issue, has influenced this decision, if indeed it it, it comes down the way we think it's going to. I think the other thing about this is we've talked about this before. The administration uh, now for several years has tried to walk uh, a fine line, appease both the oil industry and the biofuels industry, and I think they're always looking for a compromise. Perhaps their compromise is we'll say to the biofuels industry, okay, we'll deny those gap year waivers that are pending like you want, but they'll say to the oil industry, uh, this doesn't mean we changed our policy moving forward. We could still grant some of these that you talked about that are still uh, a possible, uh, you know, there's still a possibility. So they could actually make this a compromise and say to both sides, look, you're going to get something here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the gap year waivers that were requested, uh, it's pretty curious how this was all done. Um, you know, the court basically, basically said that there's no way that you can allow uh, you know, the, the EPA, the action that it took on three different waivers was was correct. It was totally wrong. And the, and the court was quite clear. In fact, uh, they re, they rejected a request for a non-bank uh, hearing, which is a hearing between for all the judges before all the judges in the Tenth Circuit. Um, so, yeah, you could look at it that way, although I think that, uh, you know, EPA definitely was uh, was on a legal, uh, a little bit of a legal uh, moving ground here as to whether they could actually do what what those uh, you know requests had had asked for um, but yeah I, I do think that you know we still there's no doubt I think the, the ethanol industry has been quite clear that it's not against waivers necessarily it's just the way that the EPA has handled it since 2016 and I think that really is the issue that's still kind of out there to be uh, to be resolved
0: yeah you look at it uh, this is a big decision. That we've been waiting for, but actually they're just doing what the courts told them they should have been doing all along.
2: Absolutely, and and that's the thing. I think, you know, how the program is instituted going forward is really the biggest issue we've got facing us. I mean, there are thirty-one pending waivers, and there's plenty, uh, plenty of evidence that was presented in court to suggest that uh, there was probably only seven companies that uh, that had waivers that you know previously that could get those waivers uh, renewed. Uh, so if there's 31 requests pending, it's really it's really a question of what the EPA is going to do in response to the Tenth Circuit, and I think that's always been the, the question. You know, the Tenth Circuit uh, ruling has already been appealed to the Supreme Court by the refiners involved, um, so that, that issue is still out there, to, and I think there's quite a ways to go yet to, to resolve what EPA is going to do.
0: Well, the other part of that story is uh, what we're hearing is the decision has been made not... To appeal that Tenth Circuit Court ruling, right?
2: Yeah, that that was made by the EPA and the, and the federal government itself. You know, it had a September here to uh, to file its own appeal. Uh, they already decided not to appeal to the Tenth Circuit again for a full hearing, and so what we've seen now is kind of a last ditch effort by uh, by the refiners involved uh, to get the Supreme Court to listen to this case and. Uh it, it just sounds like it's kind of a long shot, considering that the Tenth Circuit itself didn't want anything to do with a, a further hearing on this case.
0: So we'll have much more on this uh, coming up tomorrow. Meanwhile, we also watched the Senate, and it uh, sounds like they may pass a coronavirus aid package. And we've gone from hearing that uh, there might not be anything in it for agriculture to where there might be more in it for agriculture.
2: Yeah, you know, we're possibly looking at $34 billion, you know, another $20 billion on top of what's already been granted, and then the $14 billion to the, the Commodity Credit uh, Corporation. Uh, the thing that we're, we're looking at now is whether the House is even going to, uh, you know, go with this package, because obviously the two have to come together if there's going to be a bill sent to the President. And right now, uh, the House and the Senate are, are miles and miles apart on this, uh, on this resolution, and and whether this ever gets to, you know, kind of a, uh, an agreement between the two houses, between the two bodies is uh, is really quite up in the air. In fact, it's, it's a very tough time with the election coming up to try to get stuff like this passed. So uh, I guess we'll wait and see.
0: Meanwhile, we're also waiting for the details of CFAP
2: 2.0. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think... Uh, you know, I, I think that's coming. You know, the Secretary of Agriculture last week, on two separate visits to Iowa and Nebraska, uh, said that there's definitely there's definitely something in the works, and so I think we're kind of we're, we're kind of waiting to hear whether uh, whether that's actually going to happen. But it, it certainly sounds like it's a it's a definite thing.
0: But the Secretary also made it clear there would be nothing in CFAP for ethanol producers.
2: Yeah, you know that's still out there. Although I think. Um, you know, there's a the possibility that the Secretary of Ag is going to have plenty of discretion uh, to use that money. But uh, whether whether that word ethanol gets worked into this whole situation is still out there. I think, uh, you know, Senator Grassley and others have been pushing hard to make sure that ethanol has some sort of relief. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's just so much going on right now. It's really hard to track where that's going to head.
0: Yep, we'll try to sort it all out as the details come in. Todd, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right, DTN reporter Todd Neely. We'll be hearing from the renewable fuels industry tomorrow, again, on this story that the administration has uh, instructed EPA uh, to not grant these so-called gap year waivers to the RFS, these small refinery exemptions for past years. So that's a big story for the renewable fuels industry, and we'll keep you up to date on that. Up next, we have the latest meat export numbers. We'll talk with the economists with the U.S. Meat Export Federation next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right
3: up. Wearing a seatbelt while driving or riding in a vehicle can greatly reduce the risk of injury or death. Sadly, half of all roadway fatalities are unbuckled drivers and passengers. People who aren't buckled endanger not only themselves, but others in the vehicle as well. Everyone riding in vehicles should be properly restrained to increase the likelihood of survival. Drivers should make sure that all occupants of the vehicle, including themselves, are buckled up. Drive safe. Save lives. Adams on
1: Agriculture.
3: Conversations with
1: policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture
0: recently on Atoms on Agriculture. Let's continue looking at the storm damage. We're joined now by Megan Anderson, Iowa State Extension field agronomist. Megan, thank you for joining us. You had a couple weeks now. I know you've been out uh, looking at fields, assessing the damage. What what can you tell us? What's the overview that you've seen?
4: It's really remarkable how widespread the damage is. I mean, I know we keep saying that, but it's just it's completely unbelievable how, uh, to me, how uh, people all the way out in west central Iowa are affected and have flat feet. And, and people all the way over pretty close to the Illinois border have been affected. So the, the size and scale of it is amazing. And then I would say the, the really disappointing thing to see has been how quickly the corn crop has gone downhill here since the time of that storm. And we were already struggling a little bit with some dryness in some areas, and that has basically just spread. And that combined with the heat that we had last week has really sent the corn
0: crop downhill. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from
1: around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, we have the latest beef and pork export numbers, and here with those numbers and some uh, Analysis of them is Aaron Bohr, economist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. All right, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Uh, how do the uh, latest numbers look?
4: All right, thanks, Mike. Uh, I would say continued improvement. Um, this year we look at month on month change, which is not typical. We usually look year on year, but Given obvious uh, crazy circumstances, we look back month on month for beef up 36% compared to June and pork up 7% compared to June, which pork never decreased as hard as beef. So that's part of that difference. And so an encouraging sign, although still below year ago levels for beef and dipping below year ago for pork. Um, so clearly challenges, but improving trends and the weekly data through august showed that that's continued and especially for beef um continuing to increase the momentum and for pork a bit of a tick higher and for pork it's been a shift had been a shift more to mexico being our largest destination again followed by china and a reversal as, of what we've been seeing so so lots of um yep go ahead
0: yeah, getting better, but still below a year ago. Is this all COVID related or mostly COVID related?
4: Yeah, I mean we, well, we always forget how long it takes for these big shocks in the system to reverberate through. So, even though our production has rebounded strongly and been above year ago, especially in the case of pork for you know several months now, it still takes time to get that price. And demand shock kind of through the system, and so for for pork, you're talking down just two percent on year ago. It was just a, such a change in trend when we kind of gotten used to seeing double digit increases year on year. Um, and again, that was a big shift of seeing the slowdown to China and Hong Kong, which their offtake was basically the lowest since last October, and things like the carcass business to China dropped to the lowest. Since it began basically last June. And so, some significant shifts in kind of the business as well as getting through those supply chain shocks, which especially hit on the beef side when, remember, we had the, the prices spike. And so, it takes time for the market to sort all of that out. And the other thing that's going on here that's still impacting is just labor shortages um so even though we're running these plants much closer to capacity um packers aren't able to produce some of these more value-added items and even to save variety meats so we've seen big decreases beef variety meats down 16 percent year-on-year pork down 25 percent part of that is just simply not having the production so we know there's demand for example for things like livers um as an affordable protein source and other variety meats that just aren't, aren't being able to be saved. Livers is probably a bad example there. We can typically save them and ship them out, but um, other more intensive variety meats, labor intensive variety meats that aren't getting saved. So you're not able to produce some of these higher value, higher margin items. Another example would be things like single ribbed bellies on the pork side for Japan. And so it's still a, a labor, scarcity issue that's also impacting on availability for export items.
0: We're talking with U.S. Meat Export Federation economist Aaron That That's interesting, and we've heard this from others, uh, that it's not so much a demand situation now as it is a labor situation. Uh, Not only keeping workers healthy in these plants, but can you attract more workers to come work in these plants, or are they concerned about potential health risks and are staying away so this is a huge issue
4: yeah absolutely and the other interesting thing if you want to put it more in a positive light is that the the real significant impact as far as our plants being down or limited production that hit here in north america especially canada and the u.s earlier than basically the rest of the world so we kind of got through that and even though we're still dealing with yeah limited labor, like we're talking, we're operating um, much closer to capacity. And the the COVID issue kind of hit many of our competitors later. So plants across Europe, across South America, especially in Brazil, you know, you've been reading about impacts there after we had mostly gotten through it. So in a sense, you could. Look at it as us having or having returned to our supply advantage um, fairly quickly and being a bit ahead of the game. So, hopefully, that's kind of a tailwind. Um, And then the other point there on the kind of supply side is Australia, our big competitor on the beef side, not having COVID related issues and plants per se, especially not hitting the export business. But they're, of course, in strong herd rebuild after the, the. two years of intense droughts and their exports really slowed. They were down by more than 20% in both July and August. And so we're, we'd been expecting this, but we're really just starting to see the impacts of us beef being very competitive in the Asian markets and seeing strong interest and demand for us beef going into basically the end of this year.
0: Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Then are you, uh, uh, optimistic that we're going to see a strong finish to the year on our meat exports?
4: I am. And, you know, I, I had kind of gotten really pessimistic and then had some conversations with our international staff and honestly, especially China. And just as of late last week, when we were on with our China team, they were pretty bullish. And that's a big change in tone out of them over the past 10 days or two weeks. And so finally seeing strong buying interest out of China and this partially being ahead of Chinese new year. So we'd kind of been wondering, expecting that interest to pick up and just debating on how strong it would be. And the read out of, again, our boots on the ground is that there's really strong interest in China on both the beef and the pork side. And again, the Australia factor playing in big there Australia has dominated that grain fed market. And now there's a paucity of supplies. Plus you have, about six really important Australian plants suspended from China. So they need our beef. And then interest resuming on the pork side, um, which sounds quite strong. And you saw those sales numbers show up in last week's report. Everyone will be watching the report, which comes out weekly exports, as you know, on Friday because of the holiday of this week. But hopefully seeing that sustained buying on the pork side as well for China, and that kind of shifts the tone um, and impacts the rest of the world, of course, and to being more bullish and hopefully supporting prices as well, because everyone around the world is watching this China demand factor, knowing what a behemoth they are in the meat markets.
0: Yeah, trying to see how they rebound from African swine fever, which I guess they're still dealing with in some cases, and and some of the other problems they've had with floods and things like that. Uh, so we we see them stepping up their purchases, even though still behind where we'd like to see it, but uh, they've increased their purchases of, like, corn and soybeans, sorghum as of late. So you think we're going to see uh, stronger purchases of meat products uh, from them, beef and pork, here the last part of the year?
4: Yes, exactly. That's uh, that's our expectation. And, again, that would be somewhat seasonal. And, and yes, as you're alluding to, I mean, we know they're they're dramatically... Say below the purchase commitments in the phase one agreement. Uh, what we've tried to reiterate is that beef is a is an important part of that, and the meat products is where we actually had seen the strongest growth. And, yes, recently seeing the jump in China's corn prices, which I think is a, a mix of both um, supply or their crop and demand, knowing that there is greater feed demand. Um, but hopefully seeing strong Chinese kind of purchases of all commodities into the end of the year, but definitely we do expect that to hold for for beef and pork. And for pork, it's going to be hard to beat year ago. Um, but even if we see that trend higher seasonally into the end of the year, with some some modest growth, uh, I have total U.S. pork exports ending this year up at least 16 percent, and possibly getting up 18, 20 percent, just depending on how big that. Basically, China run is in the fourth quarter when our production is also, of course, peaking. So we really do need that China carcass business at that time. And for beef, yeah. um, maybe within four percent of year ago.
0: You have to put everything in perspective of uh, the COVID world we're living in, right? As far as where these numbers come and uh, compared to other years, it's kind of you have to look at where you're at, and where you're going, and uh, uh, I would say. Even though they're down from a year ago, considering the headwinds that uh, we've been facing, it you know could it's probably better than we could have maybe thought uh, if you said we're going to face a worldwide pandemic and economy shutting down and things like this. So a matter of perspective, but uh, we'll hope for that strong finish to the year. Aaron, thank you very much for the numbers. We appreciate it.
4: Thanks so much, Mike.
0: Aaron Boer, economist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Well, we've got a lot to talk about with Arlen Suterman with Stone X with these markets as we head to uh, harvest time, some weather issues as well. Talk about all that next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
3: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A one-point slide in both the U.S. corn and soybean crop ratings in the good to excellent category. Not doing much to spur on movement in corn futures on this Wednesday trading session. Soybean futures trending higher. USDA saying that 238,000 metric tons of soybeans sold to China for delivery in the 2020-21 marketing year that makes it nine hundred two thousand metric tons of soybeans announced sold to china this week alone an hour into the trading day new crop november soybeans up three and a half at nine seventy six and a half january nine eighty and three quarters up two and a half cents december corn down three and a quarter at three fifty eight and a half march corn at three sixty nine and a quarter down two and three quarters after tuesday's losses trending a bit higher in the wheat futures. Chicago Wheat December up three and a quarter at five hundred forty seven and a half. Kansas City Wheat December up three and a half at four hundred seventy three. Minneapolis Spring Wheat December up two at five thirty-eight and a quarter. For livestock at the American Live Cattle Futures backpedaling after yesterday's rally. Cash Cattle Country said to be slow to start on this Wednesday. Some early asking prices being noted in the South at one hundred five dollars per hundred weight. October live cattle futures at 104.70, down a dollar seven. December down a dollar two at 109.05. Feeder cattle October down 97 cents at 138.87. Lean hog futures, the October contract, 12 cents higher per hundredweight at 60.02. On Wall Street, the Dow up 461, S and P up 61, Nasdaq up 191. Crude oil up 34 cents. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Alverson from the American Ag Network.
1: And let's talk things over with Arlen
0: Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, here we are. We've just passed Labor Day and a lot of people thinking fall. But in some parts of the country, the weather has people thinking winter. Quite a quite a turn of events weather-wise here the last day or so. And we may have lost Arlen. We'll try to reconnect with him. Here right, are you, are you there? There we go. Very good. I'm just saying, for some parts of the country, instead of fall, it now feels like winter. I think we lost him again. Seems to be cutting in and out. There There you are. We lost you again. Are you back with us? I yeah. Am. yeah. Okay. You're cutting in and out. Yeah. So, uh, in, in many places, it's, it sure feels like, uh, wow, th- this growing season is officially over.
6: Yeah, really for the northwestern Midwest it is. And so now we come down to assessing uh, what the crop damage was, how much the cold penetrated the canopies of those crops that were not yet ready. I know we had some areas where fields really needed a couple more weeks yet to finish up uh, for the soybeans. And and we have some immature corn as well. Um, The ground is very warm, so uh, that would have helped somewhat. But we know we did some damage. It's just how much damage did we do.
0: So it kind of continues this end-of-the-season trend we have here towards backing off what we thought was going to be a very big crop, but we've seen this uh, slow deterioration, whether dry weather or now cold weather, taking uh, the top off a lot of these yields. Yeah, absolutely.
6: So the sense continues to be that the crops are getting smaller and demand is getting bigger, and that's why Trade will be looking to the WASDE report on Friday to just see the extent of the adjustment that USDA makes.
0: So how are the markets feeling about this? I mean, are they ready for a a change in mindset now?
6: Well, they're certainly ready for a change in mindset. The inflation play seems to really be favoring the food-based commodities at this point, and they were able to hold up well despite the big sell-off in the outside markets, and that's the encouraging sign. The breaks are being bought. Now if you look at soybean prices, they've gone up significantly over the last few weeks. They're in technically overbought territory. We're coming up to a major crop report. So it does leave me concerned that they are vulnerable to a correction lower, maybe a significant correction. Um, we've seen the funds build some significant ownership in the soybeans versus corn and wheat where they've simply done a lot of the strength of late by covering short positions and they have yet to decide how, how much conviction they have there. But I think Friday's going to be a pivotal level to see if we do a correction lower or if we can sustain this path.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, the impact of Friday's report kind of tells us if we're going to continue a rally or or take a break from it.
6: Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, and that also kind of, we're going to see harvest activity really pick up over the next 10 days. Um, it's already uh, been starting basically south of I-70, and that's going to start going north with uh, a lot more quickness here over the next 10 days as we go into a drier pattern following this system.
0: Talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. All right, we keep looking at the the demand and especially those uh, purchases by China. And I, I always ask you, you, I mean, is it just because of the time of year where we're the big player in the market or is, are they trying to meet the, or come closer to phase one commitments or is they just need it so they got to buy it now or is it – all the above
6: well to some extent it's all the above um they're certainly playing their politics regarding the phase one because they don't want president trump to put any more capital controls on them that's what can hurt them the most that's what their fear is they want to keep the trade going but they also need it they need our pork we've quietly become the top supplier of pork to china um and uh, we expect that to continue for a while longer they need our soybeans to bridge the gap until brazilian supplies become available and right now brazil's very dry that's normal but normally the wet the dry season ends by the middle of september and they start planting soybeans that looks like it's going to be delayed by two to four weeks if it's two weeks that's a concern if it's four weeks that has significant market implications because that delays their export season lengthens our export season and it puts their Safrina corn crop at risk. So that's the next thing for us to watch weather wise now that we're past this freezing event in the Midwest. Um, will China buy more than what they need to bridge that gap? Will they buy significantly more corn? Those are questions yet to be answered. We think we'll get answers of that here in the coming weeks. We expect China to announce its TRQs or corn quotas. Uh, here over the next couple of weeks for 2021. A typhoon, they've had three typhoons across their northern production areas here the last couple of weeks, the second of which was last week, did significant damage. How significant, we don't know. We're seeing a lot of pictures on Chinese social media of flattened cornfields similar to Iowa last month. But, again, that's anecdotal. How much of a scope that is is really hard to tell, even with boots on the ground in China.
0: So could this year be one of those years where selling from the combine is a good strategy?
6: Well, I think that we're going to see the farmers are want to see how this play out. So that'll probably decrease the amount of selling that we see off the combine and may give us some better basis than what we might normally expect to see at harvest time, although we still will see some harvest response in the basis market, um, and and then where do those TRQs come out from China? That'll tell us a lot. They're normally at 7.2. If they go up to 10 to 12, which is what we're thinking right now, I think the market's kind of accepted that and prepared for that, and we can easily supply that. If they go up to 20 or higher, that suggests a little bit more of a panic situation by China, and I think that'll get a draw a lot more interest into the corn market and what the potential for upside is, especially with some risk from La Nina to the South American crop.
0: Yes, it'll be interesting. Let's say that the rally does continue after Friday's report. Uh, do you sell into it, or do you say, I'm just going to put it in the bin, it looks to me like it's going to keep going higher? This is 2020, a
6: year full of uncertainties, which
0: means that the
6: unexpected can certainly happen. So I wouldn't want to put all of my eggs in one basket. I'd want to be scaling in sales and rallies as opportunities are given. Know what your break-even costs are, and if you have the opportunity to protect your equity in your farm or add to it, make the business decision, but keep the upside open with some of the tools that are available today.
0: With some of the rest of the country experiencing these weather challenges, does that make the de impact maybe stronger than we thought it was would be originally?
6: Well, certainly the drought that we had in August, you can call it a flash drought or whatever, that amplified the losses and amplified the concerns. Now the trade is still expecting USDA to print a 2.4 billion bushel corn carryout Friday. Uh, we're a little higher than that. Um, but that could continue to ratchet lower. But right now, there's really no evidence that we're going to tighten supplies to the point of needing to ration demand with higher prices. So we need to maintain that perspective.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And you always bring us back to that. when We kind of focus on this year's production. Okay, maybe that's down. Yeah, China's buying more. But we still got that, that stock's uh, uh, burden to carry, right? I mean, that's that's still kind of the cloud that hangs over things.
6: Yeah, exactly right. And the real key, the market doesn't want to see stocks fall below $1.5 billion. Um, So if China could buy 20 million metric tons, then it might get us down close to that level, but we'd have to have a risk from somewhere else or a significantly smaller crop than was currently projected to suggest we're going to get below $1.5 billion. That doesn't mean we can't have some times of higher prices, um, but it does say, it does put a little perspective here on uh, the supplies that we do have and largely because of all the lost demand we have when ethanol got shut down this spring due to coronavirus.
0: I was going to ask you about ethanol, I mean it looks like we may get a little good news here if indeed the administration is going to deny these gap year waiver requests, but still the big issue is demand moving forward and how we recover from, from COVID.
6: Yeah, exactly right, and that was good news this morning. We'd like to see that made official. Um, Going forward, we've recovered most of what we lost this spring. We're still down about 11 to 15% from where we were pre-COVID, and we seem to have stagnated here at this level. We need to get the rest of the country opened back up, get people comfortable driving again, and uh, increase that demand for ethanol as well as for exports of ethanol.
0: Yeah, still waiting to see if China's going to buy ethanol, right?
6: Yeah, and there are some encouraging signs over the last couple of days of Chinese buyers inquiring on distillers' grains, even with Mm -hmm. the anti-dumping subsidies. And my sense is that it's because they tend to panic a little bit about supplies, and they're checking out their options in case they do have more damage to the crop than is currently believed. And feed supplies are tighter than currently believed then it becomes more economical to pay those anti-dumping subsidies just to have the distiller's grains.
0: So that would be big news if we start seeing them buy DDGs, so we'll keep a watch on that. Always good to talk with you. Thanks, Arlen. Thank you, Mike. Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX, Arlen Suderman. Well, as we've been mentioning, weather is a big story today. Uh, Some rain has moved across a good part of the country, but also Some cold weather has settled into some places and uh, for all intents and purposes, shutting down the growing season to finish off some of those crops. We're going to talk about that with Dennis Toddy, the director of the U.S. Midwest Climate Hub. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go
7: away, more Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners, broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz, 1,000 bucks. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home, all backed by a 30-day money back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301 800-434-5301 That's 800-434-5301 800-434-5301 I
4: can't get my computer to work. Let
7: me help you
3: with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site.
1: No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires.
0: Peak
5: performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit fsystem.com
0: and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next.
1: A
7: toast
1: to soil health. More and more landowners and their farmers are celebrating healthy soil for good reason. Because farmers who use soil health building practices like no-till and cover crops and who use diverse species and rotations report greater farm productivity, profitability, and resiliency. So here's to your soil's health. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn how to unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station
0: recently on Adams on Agriculture Jim Sutter CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim let's start with China your thoughts on their purchases and where we're at as far as sales to them when it comes to soybean.
8: Well we've been very uh, pleased to see that the pace picking up for sales obviously we are uh, we're at almost a record level we'll see when we get the numbers this week in terms of new crop sales uh, as we start the new marketing year so uh, you know we've been thinking for a while that there was going to be a real good effort from the Chinese in terms of implementing the phase one agreement. And I think we're seeing that happen. You know, we had to get through the time period when Brazil is the normal kind of southern hemisphere exporter and their main window. uh, That window has, uh, the the shipments are certainly winding down. We're all hearing talk about the prices in Brazil going up and we're seeing them now turn to the United States. So they've got a nice purchase book on from, from the U.S., as do other countries.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. couple big weather stories, rain and cold. Let's talk about it with Dennis Toddy, director of the U.S. Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, thanks for joining us. Um, even for um, some of our northern states, uh, it's pretty cold for this early in September.
8: It really is, unfortunately. Um, you know, you've you heard the news stories out in the west with uh, with the big change in temperatures and snow. Probably the big news out of that is on a couple fronts is um Coming, temperatures coming in from North Dakota overnight where they went down near freezing and a little bit below freezing in eastern North Dakota which is bad news from a corn and soybean standpoint because we have corn and soybeans there that were a fair amount behind some of the surrounding states so we probably uh have had some some losses there unfortunately and then the, the you know this up and down temperature swing probably was not a major livestock issue you know like the 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 october blizzard several years ago but this one probably you know there was probably a little bit of stress put on some of the younger livestock particularly when we went from such high temperatures to low temperatures and then through snow on top of them on a fairly rapid basis
0: some rain as well did the did the dry areas that really needed it that that been dealing with the flash drought did they get some rain Um,
8: yes and no, um, you know, that if you look back at the last several days, going back to Saturday, uh, we have areas from parts of Minnesota through Iowa, Illinois, and then parts of Indiana and Ohio that have had two or in some cases four plus inches isolated areas with four plus inches of rainfall, um. Too late for for the, the cash crops this year. Certainly will help with cover crops or any any fall, getting some moisture back in for for uh, winter wheat planting for places that do winter wheat, um, and it will also start that soil moisture recharge. Um, have some other areas that have uh, received more rainfall. Parts of the worst hit area in Iowa, uh, we're getting
2: rain in Ames
8: right now, which is a, a site a pleasant site in western Iowa. The problem is how how Uh, deep we are in this drought. You know, a couple inches of rainfall is a real plus, but if you think about soils that are, you know, pretty much depleted of moisture that can hold 10, 12 inches of water, uh, we have a long way to go before we call this done and and improve. So it's a good thing, but it's it's, we're not at a fix at this point anyway.
0: All right, so we're going into harvest in the Midwest. Uh, What's the pattern you see shaping up?
8: Um, Some, I mean, it's kind of a mixed blessing. At first, this was probably good. You know, it's always good to get rainfall. It's also good, you know, we think about fire issues as a Western issue. You know, you can have some minor fire issues in the Midwest when you're really dry. We were close to that point of of being concerned about harvest fires or grass fires, not huge ones, but but, but minor ones. So this will help that situation. Um, After these... Uh, You know, this week is still staying fairly active in the central Midwest, kind of that uh, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Wisconsin area. Eastern Midwest will be less active this week. After that, we look like we stay fairly quiet for a good portion of September. So good and bad of that good for people starting harvest, that they can start making progress to get out in the field, you know, especially with some of the, the damaged crops and the duration, it's going to take them a little while, so to give them extra time is a good thing. Uh, it's a it's a downside for the lack of precipitation towards getting us more soil moisture recovery, but that may be okay because get the harvest out, and if we can get some rainfall later in the fall to get the soil moisture recharged, then that's a good thing, but we, we still don't see those those good rains uh, coming just yet it's going to be a little while longer
0: what do you make of the predictions of a uh, really hard winter coming uh, maybe more snow than we've seen and uh, you know just a more harsh winter than we've seen the last few years do you buy into that
8: uh the the chances are there for a bit more difficult winter and what that's being based on is the possibility for la nina um you know, when we're talking about La Nina, we're talking about sea surface temperatures in the equatorial Pacific, but there are relationships when you are in a La Nina during the winter wintertime, uh, less likely to be a warm winter, um, could be colder, it's not a guarantee that it's a colder winter, uh, and can be a bit more active. So what that activity looks like, if it looks like snow, if it looks like Mixed rainfall kind of depends on the different storm systems. Right now, the long-range outlooks uh, are uh, leaning that way. Uh, The current probability, I think, for La Nina is about 60 65%. So there'll be an update on that, I believe, tomorrow. So people should listen for that. And then the new long-range outlooks will be updated next week, so we'll get a better look at that. Uh, So there are some potential for... Yeah, you know, This is not a guarantee. This is not a, a big shift that way. But certainly there's some potential for it to be a little harsher winter uh, than we've had. My daughter, who's recently back from the East Coast, is excited about the potential for cold. I can't say I'm as excited
0: about potential mm, for cold. No, no, no <laughs> I'm, I'm not excited about that at all. So uh, despite the, the weather of the last day or so, you think uh, much of the Midwest in looking at favorable harvest conditions...
8: I mean, right now, for the early part of, of harvest, yes, uh, it looks very quiet. You know, after these, after these systems this week, uh, our, our storm pattern becomes what we call zonal. It means very east-west. So there will be mo- minor storm systems that will come through, very weak systems, but really nothing major. And unless you get some moisture from the Gulf, which those tend not to bring a lot of moisture from the Gulf, it won't be very active as we go in September. So, so the first part of September, you know, middle third week or so, definitely looks fairly dry. So harvest should be kicking off fairly well. Uh, you know, some especially the driest areas, we've got crops turning and mature already, so we can get started with that. Um, you know, after that point, it still doesn't look terribly active and for as dry as we are right now over much of the areas, uh, you know, even a little bit of rainfall won't slow folks down too much.
0: All right, Dennis, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Happy to do it. Take care, Mike. You too. Dennis Toddy, director of the U.S. Midwest Climate Hub. That wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, much more on this, uh, SRE decision by the administration, and uh, the, reaction from the biofuels industry hope you'll join us right here on AOA